This week, we are going to wrap up our sermon series called Fun Size, which was walking through the shortest books of the Bible. So two weeks ago, we were in Obadiah, last week in Philemon, and this week we're going to be in 3 John. So to find 3 John, start at the very back of your Bible in Revelation, turn backwards until you get there. It's right before Jude. So if you get to 1 John, Hebrews, the Peters, anything like that, you've gone too far. Maybe it takes up like half a page in your Bible. It's very tiny. But before we get there, also, sorry, mark a spot in Colossians 3 and Romans 12. We're going to be in both of those chapters as well. We'll go back and forth. So Colossians 3 and Romans 12. But before we dive in to 3 John, last week we talked about the book of Philemon and how we see Paul showing grace, how he's demonstrating the gospel in his life by showing grace and mercy to others and how we can do that in our lives as well. And so we have a lot of teachers in here. And so for all of our teachers and educators in here, I have a very practical way that you could potentially show grace and mercy to your students. Now, I'm sure y'all have all gotten some ridiculous explanations and excuses as to why you do not have your students' homework, why your homework while your student's homework was not turned in. And the common one that we at least often joke about is that my dog ate my homework. Now yesterday I went to work out and I came home and my dog had quite literally eaten my homework. So if a student comes to you and says, my dog ate my homework, give them a little bit of grace because they might be telling you the truth. I sent that picture to my professor uh, and she was very gracious and I, Apparently my dog enjoys Hebrew a lot more than I do, but <laughs> so yes, a practical way that we can show grace and mercy. But something that I like to do whenever I preach is I like to share a lot of my interests and y'all probably picked up on the fact that I like superhero movies and sports. That's probably not lost on y'all that I enjoy those two things. But something else that I really enjoy is the field of psychology. I think it's very interesting how people behave and how our mind affects that, things of that sort. And so I've been reading a book recently and something stood out to me whenever I was reading it this week. And it was this idea of what's called group polarization. Now this is something that you've probably seen or noticed before, but necessarily didn't know the name for it like I did. But essentially the idea of group polarization is that somebody can come in to a group with one mindset and then whenever the group takes another stance, their stance is shifted because they're just going in the flow of the group. Now, it's kind of scary when you stop and think about it, that I can come in with a hard stance on something, but because I'm in a room with eight people that disagree with me, well then, all of a sudden, I can start shifting in the direction that they believe. Now, I found a picture that I feel like demonstrates this very well. This was in the late 30s in Nazi Germany whenever Hitler was giving a speech. And as you can see, everybody but this one person in the crowd was following in suit. They were following in suit with what Hitler had to say, which we all know as history has shown, was not good. But this one person was sticking out amongst the crowd saying, no, I'm not going to salute this person. I'm not going to stand for what is happening in my country. Now this is sort of what we're seeing in the book of 3 John. 
we have two characters by the names of Gaius and Diotrephes. And essentially, John is saying in this short letter, hey, here's a good example and here's a bad example. Let's follow the good example. It's going to be easy to drift in to the bad example, but let's follow the good example. Now, the book of 3 John is likely the same author who wrote 1 and 2 John, which is more than likely the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John. And in 1 John, he's talking about what it looks like to live a life for Christ as someone who has been saved and redeemed by Christ and now walking in what he calls the truth. And then 2 John is about continuing to walk in that by rejecting false prophecies, by rejecting false teachings. Now he's showing how to walk in the truth by truly following Christ and demonstrating that for other people, similar to what we talked about last week with Philemon. So like we said, we have two characters named Gaius and Diotrephes, and Gaius is who John is writing to. And by the end of this book, we can see, are we going to follow in Gaius' example, or are we going to follow in Diotrephes' example? But so while John is writing to Gaius, he is affirming and encouraging his work while showing Diotrephes is not who we want to be following. I'm condemning what he is doing in the church of God. So we have a choice by the time we get to this. Who will we be? Will we be a Gaius or a Diotrephes? So our first point is that we want to be a Gaius. Be a Gaius. So read verses 3 through 6 with me of 3 John. For I was very glad when fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity of the truth, how you were walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So there's three things that John highlights in Gaius' life that I think stands out. Three attributes of Gaius. And that is love, that he is acting faithfully, and walking in truth. Gaius is a loving person who is welcoming people in. He is walking in faith. He is walking in truth. He is a faithful steward of, this, of his position in this church. We don't know where this church is, but he is welcoming, he is loving, he is teaching correctly, and John is praising him for that. Hey, thank you for doing this. I'm thankful that we have people like you. Now keep going in it. But see, this isn't the only place that we see things like this in Scripture. So turn to Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 12 through 15, and then we'll skip to verse 17. So Colossians 3.12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love. Remember, that was an attribute of Gaius. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. 
and skip to verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, can we agree that all these things that Paul is talking about in this chapter right here is what it would look like to walk in truth? Let's run it down to what he just ran through right here. Showing the fruit of the Spirit, which he talks about as well in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Showing forgiveness and grace, putting on love, showing peace of Christ, being thankful, and doing everything in the name of God. So this is what I think of whenever John says that Gaius is walking in truth, that he is demonstrating all these attributes that Christ demonstrated for us. So he is living out that example, and he is doing it for the glory of God. He is serving God by serving people in this church, and therefore setting a good example for us to follow. So there are multiple passages throughout Scripture that are similar to this. There are several in 1 John, Ephesians 4. This is not something that is rare in Scripture, but something that's very common of, hey, you were once like this, like we'll get to a Diotrephes, but now, as you were saved by the blood of Christ, live like this, like we just talked about in Colossians 3. So everybody has some sort of role model growing up. There are good role models and there are bad role models. For me personally, my role model in a certain sense was John Wayne. I loved watching John Wayne movies. So I had the cowboy hat and the boots and the jeans and everything. I remember one time we had like a country themed VBS and they made a big deal that there was going to be a horse there on like the big like family party. And so I wore the boots and the jeans and the cowboy hat and the whole bit. And then I get there and I guess I'm just ready. My like five or six year old self is just ready to take off into the sunset. I'm just going to like go on this horse and run off by myself into the sunset. And then I get on and they just start walking me down the street. And I'm like, okay, I'm ready to run now. And they just laughed at me. And they just walked me back down the street. I'm like, this is it. I wanted to be just like John Wayne. I wanted to run off into the sunset. I wanted to ride through the plains and the prairies. I wanted to be just like John Wayne. But then a few years ago, I was refereeing elementary school basketball. And I had a kid tell me that he had spent hours on YouTube watching LeBron James' free throws in order to shoot his free throws just like LeBron James. Now, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because that specific basketball player is not very good at free throws, but he wanted to be just like this basketball player, so he spent hours watching videos on YouTube to shoot his free throws just like him. There are role models and examples that we want to follow, and Gaius is the good role model and the good example because he is following in the footsteps of the example that is set by Christ. He is showing love. He is showing grace. He's doing what is right. He is welcoming people in. He is being a good steward of the position that he has in this church. Now, Matthew 7 talks about the wide and the narrow path. The narrow path is the one that is harder but leads to God, and the wide path is the one that's easier but ultimately does not lead to God. And so Gaius is walking on this narrow path, but then in verse 9, we get to the character of Diotrephes, who is taking the wide path, which leads us to the second point of don't be a Diotrephes. 
don't be a Diotrephes. Also, parents, don't name your kids Diotrephes. It's very hard to say. Your teachers will hate you if you name your kid Diotrephes. But so, see, while John attributes good things to Gaius that we should apply to our lives, Diotrephes is the exact opposite. There's nothing positive about him given in just these two verses, but we see a very negative picture of this other supposed leader in the church. So like I said, he's holding a position in the church, but unlike Gaius, is being a bad steward of it, and he is using it for his own personal agenda. So read verse 9 with me. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have first place among them, does not receive our authority. So here we see that Diotrephes loves to be in first place. So he doesn't care about having this position, this place in the church, to be a steward of it, to be a servant of it. No, he wants it for himself. He wants it to have this position to get done what he wants done, to have this authority, this power, this spotlight, and will likely do anything to maintain this. So whenever we were in the book of Obadiah just a few weeks ago, this is the same issue. They had this position, the country of Edom had this great position, but had edged God out to the point that they didn't need God anymore. There was no room for God in their lives And now Diotrephes is in this position of power, and he's not going to let God in because he's getting what he wants with this position. And because of this, he doesn't want John coming in and putting his authority on him. He doesn't want John coming in preaching the actual truth, the actual gospel, because it could affect this position of power that Diotrephes sees himself in. Now read verse 10 with me. This is why, if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words. And he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but he even stops those who wants to do so and expels them from the church. So here we see that Diotrephes is a, quote, slanderer. So he's a gossip. He is making things up about John and the other apostles. But he's not stopping there. He is taking that to the point of hostility, that he is being threatening and unwelcoming to anybody who perceives this position. Now, if he's not letting other Christians in, I don't think he's going to be letting other people in that he doesn't like either. He's not going to let people into the church that could potentially threaten this position, disagree with them, etc. So he's doing the exact opposite of showing grace, love, and mercy. He is showing, hey, I'm going to protect what I want. I'm going to do what helps me. So out of these two, it's obvious who the good example is. Gaius is welcoming. Diotrephes is not. And, you know, Jesus ate dinner with the people who were the most frowned upon in society. So I don't think he would be a big fan of Diotrephes turning people away because they had different views of the gospel and wanted to use that for good purposes rather than negative. So John gives these descriptions of Diotrephes as he loves to be first, so he's prideful, he's arrogant, he's a slanderer, he's inhospitable, the exact opposite 
of what we want to be. There's a reason that on Halloween, kids dress like Superman and not like the villains that Superman fights. Here's a good example that we want to emulate, and then now here's the bad example that we do not. Now turn back to Colossians 3 with me. We're going to be in verses 5 through 10 there. Colossians 3, verses 5 through 10. Now remember, John called Diotrephes a slanderer, he's inhospitable, and he loves to be first. He has this bad agenda, these evil desires with his position that he has. So verse 5, Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And once you walked in these things, when you were living in them, but now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. So all of the things that John is attributing to Diotrephes, Paul says, these were what you were before Christ. Be these no longer. Christ has come into your life. He is the one that has changed you. It's not on you, but it's on him. Walk with him and allow these changes to take place. But Diotrephes isn't concerned about that. He is concerned about his own agenda, his own evil desires, him being in first place. So behavior such as Gaius, like I said, can only come when we're walking with Christ, which brings us to the last point in verse 11 of cling to what is good. We want to cling to what is good. So read verse 11 with me. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The other one who does evil has not seen God. Now this reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the book of Romans. So if you have that, turn there. Romans 12.9 tells us that let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, and cling to what is good. So in other words, we cannot love one another, we cannot love God, and we cannot love people, the two most important commandments, if we're not clinging to God, if we're not clinging on to what is good and hating what is evil. And then Paul concludes this passage in verse 21 with, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So the only way that we can truly show love we can show grace, we can show mercy, we can do justice, is to be clinging to God in order to do what is good and therefore hating evil, hating the negative desires that we once had and that we still do and allowing God to block those out of our lives. This is the only way that we can show love and truly be the church that God calls us to be. Now at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, what will the community of West have to say about First Baptist Church of West? Think about it. Think about how you demonstrate in your lives, am I clinging to what is good and hating what is evil? 
Or do I have my own position? Do I want to be in first place? Are we serving ourselves and our own desires, or are we serving God? Do we act in faith and love, even when it's difficult? If an apostle was writing a letter to our church, what would they have to say? That we walk in truth, or that we love being in first place? One of my favorite authors, preachers, he does a little bit of everything, but his name is Francis Chan. He's one of my absolute favorites. If you've never read a Francis Chan book, I highly recommend getting one. They're very readable. They're very easy. But he gives two examples, two stories that both hit me really, really hard. And so one was a very positive example from his church. He was once the pastor of a very large church in California. Now he's a missionary in China. But he gave this example of his church that I was like, wow, this is the church you want to be. And then one, I was like, wow, that hurt. So the positive example is they were looking to do expansion on his church building. And so they were having all the city meetings and everything, and there were people giving cases as to why they should or shouldn't be able to expand this church. And a person steps up and was very blatant that he did not want this church to be able to expand. He said, this is bad for the community. They don't do anything for us. This is just going to be taking up space. This is going to be messing up the neighborhood. We should by no means let this happen. And then someone else stood up and said, I don't know you. I have no personal relationship with Mr. Chan. But I can tell you that I have to completely disagree. See, this person happened to be the head of the fostering agency in this town in California. And Francis Chan had talked about his passion for adoption and how he felt that that was sharing the gospel and doing gospel work and doing God's work here on earth to adopt and to foster children who needed a home. And so this became such a big deal in this church that the regular foster interest meetings in this town that usually ran at about five to 10 every quarter we're now running at about 125 to 150 people. And within two years, there were no longer any children to be fostered in this town. They all had a home. They had all been adopted. They had all been fostered. There were literally foster parents on the wait list because this one church had taken such an initiative to make this impact. And so this person that's head of the foster agency said, I have to disagree. If this is what they're doing in this one area, then give them whatever they want if that's going to continue this good work. So that's a Gaius-like church. That's walking in the truth. That's loving others, showing grace, showing mercy. Now, in this same church was a story that I, I kid you not, I literally started crying. I was camping when I read this, and I was sitting by a fire eating s'mores, which is one of my favorite things to do. And then I started crying into my s'more whenever I read this story, and it ruined the s'more, but I just made another one. It was all good. Anyways, so it was a person that came to this church who was a former gang member. He had found Christ and had put that life behind him, and you know he was kind of what you think of a gang member, was tatted up, wore the clothes, all of that kind of stuff, and came this great story in this church, this great story, this sign of redemption of what God had done in his life, and he quickly began, began serving in various ministries within the church and was a very active member, enjoyed being there, and everybody enjoyed having him.
But then about six months went by, and everybody started stopped seeing him. He wasn't coming to church anymore. And so Francis Chan had lunch with him and just says, like, hey, like, you were very active. We loved having you. Like, what, what happened? Why, why have you stopped coming? He said, well, as you know, I used to be in a gang. In a gang, we were like a family. And then I get to church, and I thought it was going to be like a gang, but it turns out everybody's just nice to each other once a week on Sundays. It wasn't a family. It wasn't what I was used to. It was people that we came together for a couple hours a week, and that was it. In a gang, if I needed something, people came to my every need. They were there for me. They loved me. I never felt that in the church. Francis Chan said that he wept, and I wept reading this, thinking, man, which of these examples can I be? Can we be as God's people? You know, the people in the church, I doubt that it was intentional to not make him feel like he was in a family. But are we constantly looking for other people to show that grace and mercy with, or have we gotten comfortable with a position, with a comfort, with the things that we have, that we're no longer looking to walk in that truth and show that to whoever walks in these doors? So I'll leave with this. We saw a couple weeks ago that we have to make God our God and not ourselves. And whenever that happens, then we can show God's grace, love, and mercy to other people, not just preach it, but to demonstrate it in our lives. And now we have the choice. Are we going to walk in that? Are we going to walk in truth? Are we going to let ourselves be first place in our lives? Are we going to be a Gaius? Or are we going to be a Diotrephes? 